This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Racism against African Americans. According to a new study, Americans tend to think that racism by individuals is a bigger problem for African Americans. African Americans, according to that same study, feel that the system is a bigger problem. But how do we African-Americans tend to make up our minds about how racism impacts us? Coming up in this episode of Colors. The impact of cancel culture on First Peoples or Native Americans. The natives of North America, uh, the first the First Nations, I think we might have been among the, certainly not among the first, but certainly among the most um, the most canceled because there are many of us that, that we, we are invisible to many people. We don't exist. Our tribe, our heritage, our culture, a lot of it got erased. My colleague and friend, Ian Crawford, talks about his experience as a Native American. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. White, uh, Polish, German, English, French, born in California, moved to Colorado, now in Ohio. My name is John Yang. I'm Chinese-American. I grew up in Chicago and was born in Taipei, Taiwan. My name is Lily Quiros, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm Black. And this is Colors. On Colors, for a long time... Since the very beginning of the program, almost three years ago, um, I have been looking for ways to highlight the life experiences of Native Americans. This is their country. This was their country before anybody else came here, uh, at least to our knowledge and to my knowledge. And um, I've been a little disappointed about the results. We have had some Native Americans that we've spoken to but um, the leadership of many of the major tribes have not. Now, we've had some Native American leaders talk to us, but some of the top leadership from some of the major Native American tribes have not responded. And I'm assuming it's probably because they're busy. I'm basically, I shouldn't assume, but that's just the fact. At any rate, um, we have uh, one of my colleagues, one of my fellow co-workers who is a Native American joining us on this program, his name is Ian Crawford. Ian is a member of the Klamath and the Modoc tribes. Ian, welcome to Colors. Glad to be here, JJ. Thank you for having me. First, tell us who these tribes are, Klamath and Modoc. Where do they come from? Where do they essentially originate? And uh, tell us what you can about them. 
Sure. Uh, the Klamath and Modoc peoples uh, are centered in Southern Oregon and Northern California. Uh, for those who may be familiar with Crater Lake in Southern Oregon, the, the only national park in Oregon, uh, that is part of what was uh, the traditional land of the Klamath tribes. Uh, the Modoc tribe is a little bit farther south of that into Northern California. And uh, they are they were so close. They're kind of cousin tribes. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, a lot of intermingling, a lot of intermarrying um, and a lot of a lot of barter in between the two. And among the uh, you, one using the other is barter with other tribes. Um, in 1864, a treaty was concluded uh, between the Klamath and Modoc peoples and a band of the Snake uh, River Indians, the Yahuskin band. Um, they concluded a treaty with the federal government, with the U.S. government in 1864 that brought them onto a reservation area in central Klamath County in Oregon, which is in south central Oregon, in the Cascade Mountains. Along Virgin stands of Ponderosa and Lodgepole Pine, which will play into uh, the narrative in a little bit. Uh, in uh, about 10 years after that, uh, there was uh, a band of Modocs who left the reservation uh, went to the traditional hunting and uh, fishing grounds of the, uh, the wintertime along Lower Klamath Lake and an area we now call the Lava Beds, a series of uh, lava creed, lava tubes, and caves. Uh, this led to an armed conflict called the Modoc Indian War of 1872 and 73. And um, 57 uh, members of the Modoc tribe uh, held off a contingent that came from, I think one, one contingent came from the Presidio at San Francisco. I uh, held them off for an entire winter uh, before um, they were they were captured. Um, the uh, leaders were uh, hanged at Fort Klamath as insurrectionists. Uh, one of them was one of my ancestors. And um, okay, yeah. So uh, okay. they we the they have they lived on that land until uh, until the early nineteen fifties. Okay. All and, right. So yeah. uh, let's. We'll we'll get back to that in a, in a sure. minute, but I want to get to you here. Um, sure. So you've explained who these tribes are, where they come from. Mm -hmm. um, so where'd you grow up? And tell me about and just you know briefly your experience growing up, where you grew up, and growing up as a Native American in that place. Well, I should qualify this a bit because my my skin tone doesn't necessarily. Um, uh, shine forth my my native heritage. I do look quite Anglo, but um, um, growing so, up. Wait, let me let me just ask this question. Sure. What? So, is there a way that Native American skin should look, or is typical? Because I, I just never was aware that there mm -hmm. there there was. I know people, you know, used to make these unseemly references to people the red man and yeah. all of this. I mean, that was just ridiculous mm -hmm. stuff, but that was just a product product of our ignorance back in the day. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's been a lot of intermarrying and intermixing yep. throughout the centuries. And so, but typically speaking, is that the experience that you've had people think that native Americans have a certain skin tone? Yes. And it's not just among, it's not just among uh, the Anglos. It's it or the white people. It's also among, it's also among natives. Yeah. And um, there was uh, there, there were several times growing up in my hometown of Klamath Falls, Oregon, um, where uh, people who were in the Klamath tribes um, 
such as they were at the time in the late in the mid late seventies, um, who knew that I was d- descended from a couple of families that were fairly prominent or well known in the tribes. Uh, and knew that I was that I was Indian, but I didn't look Indian or native or or, or First Nations or however we wish to characterize ourselves. Um, and that that kind of played into how I viewed myself and how I viewed my interactions with the tribe, which really didn't exist at the time. There was a time between 1954 and 1986 that the Klamath tribes didn't exist officially. We were legislated yeah. out of out of existence. So that also colored how I kind of how I interacted. But I, I grew up with stories of uh, from both my mother and father, who were both born at the uh, the reservation agency hospital, um, which no longer exists. Uh, and hearing those stories, but growing up in town in Klamath Falls and having a very ordinary small town um, upbringing, but knowing, you know, as I would as I would proclaim proudly my native heritage, people just kind of both whites and in and natives were just kind of like, well, you don't really look it. Hmm. And there was actually a fair amount of that growing up. Um, I have cousins who uh, are, are very, um, who have darker skin. Uh, my father himself was fairly ruddy skinned. Um, and even when I, when I tan in the summertime, I have kind of this reddish brown glow to my, uh, my skin, my my daughter does too. Uh, and that's really the only thing that that would indicate, outside of maybe my higher cheekbones, that I have uh, any native heritage at all. And so that I think colored how I how I interacted with the tribes, or such as they were at the time, and how I've interacted with them since. Um, I haven't yeah. had a great deal of contact, if I'm honest. So okay, that being said, um, how much? And in how, in what way do you interact with your uh, native uh, tribes, your uh, affiliation, and and, and mm-hmm. folks that come from your your line of descendancy? Well, I, the, actually, the the most um, the most contact I had had with the tribes recently was uh, this past summer upon the passing of my mother. Uh, she was buried on our in our tribal cemetery. And that, by the way, yeah. I want to make sure our listeners know this. You and I had a conversation about this when your mother yeah. passed. And again, you know, may she rest in peace. And um, thank you uh, for telling us and sharing us, sharing with us the story. But you and I got into this, um, the the interactions that took place at funerals. It's, it's really it's really interesting how funerals that happens. But you and yeah. I talked a little bit about this um, after your mother's funeral. But go ahead, please. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 interaction with the tribe with the tribal government um, was actually very very um, very matter of fact, very cut and dry, very businesslike, and I was actually appreciated that. Um, there was there is a mechanism uh, by which some people who don't have enough money to to bury a loved one uh, can apply for. Uh, for um, benefits, I did not know about that until until that happened. I wasn't eligible, but it was nice. It's nice to know it's there for others. Yeah, um, the tribal cemetery people were very, very helpful and very kind because uh, they all knew my mom. They all remember my mom uh, from from days gone by. Uh, that part of the the interaction was was very pleasant. Um, and I should clarify, I am not a member of the Klamath tribes. I descend from them. I am. I think I'm eligible for membership now. 
but I am not, I'm not myself a member. My mother and my father were, um, which goes back to the whole, when we were legislated out of existence back in the fifties, they made the final role and I didn't, right? Cause that was yeah. 10 years, 10 years too late. The interaction, like I say, was very, very ordinary, very cut and dried. Like I was dealing with any other governmental entity, um, surprisingly efficient and, um, very understanding because like mm-hmm. I say, many of them remembered my mom. That was very cool. Was there anything else um, that took place or that transpired from those connections? Have you been inspired to or and or been in contact uh, with uh, others? Um, I guess the question I'm asking in a roundabout way is, did any connections come out of this 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 development at the funeral? And have you been inspired to reach further back or forward um into your 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 heritage mm-hmm. uh, to see to see what happens i have it's it's funny you should mention that um like I, I mentioned earlier i think i now am eligible for tribal membership uh there is a, a certain amount of of heritage or blood quantum as it's as it's so crudely put uh that uh qualifies one for membership in the tribes and i i think i meet that criteria now and ultimately, I think that will also include my daughter, uh, who had who had her first exposure to all of this uh, when we went back to, to for, for my mom's funeral back in in July. Uh, it's something that's always been a part of me, and it's something that as I get older, uh, I need feel like I need to kind of establish that that more permanent relationship with that I can hand off to my um, to my daughter, as my parents handed it off to me their interaction with tribal government was as need be. And it was always pleasant, but it was just as, as the need arose, we just always kind of took care of ourselves and, you know, tribal government was there to help. Great. Uh, If not, we figured it out on our own. Thing. Um, Things will happen though. It takes time sometimes for these things to develop um, I have a, another question I want to ask you about, you know, the heritage and all of that. Sure. One of the things that's been going on a lot in the last few years is people have been saying, instead of naming the city or the, the jurisdiction that they grew up in, they'll say, hey, I grew up on such and such land. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a manner in which they want to try to give respect to the Native Americans mm-hmm. um, who were the first Americans uh, the first people there, mm-hmm. I should say. You know, I grew up in 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 Southside Virginia on what's known as Nottaway and yeah. Maharan uh, land. Those tribes were that was their land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you feel about people doing that? I'm thankful for the honor, and I, I think it's very gracious. I have seen that done. It's done quite a bit in uh, British Columbia. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I see I, I see things from Canada quite a bit and I see how there's one uh, television station for instance in in Victoria British Columbia that honors the 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 native peoples of that the first nations of that area and say and proudly proclaims that we are we are happy to live in their land we are honored to live in their land and 
it was I thought it was very thoughtful. I have no problem with it. I think it's I think it's a great recognition. There's been a lot of talk in recent years of a very hot button topic uh, called cancel culture. Yeah. Well, well, if if I may be so bold, I would say that the natives of North America, uh, the first the first nations, I think we might have been among the. Certainly not among the first, but certainly among the most um, the most canceled, because there are many of us that, that we, we are invisible to many people. We don't exist. Uh, we're not thought of outside of, say, you know, a really cheesy John Wayne Western or whatever. Uh, you, you see, you, you we, the portrayals in in the media have become more um, fair. I don't know if I can necessarily go so far as honest, but certainly fairer. But our tribe, our heritage, our culture, a lot of it got erased. Yeah. Uh, my my, uh, my great grandmother, uh, who was full Modoc, uh, did not teach my grandfather or any of his siblings how to speak the Modoc language because she did not want them to grow up with a native accent. Yeah, she wanted them to sound like the white man. Yeah, and so we did some of it to ourselves. But um, you want to talk about cancel culture? Ask a native. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, Ian, about mm. that. Sure. You know, you can reinstate things, culture, people. You can revive, you can rehabilitate, and you can reassert. You can do a lot of different things to erase that whole idea of canceling mm -hmm. something or someone. And True. that's precisely what you've done here try to um, and previously in our conversations uh and that's what colors actually strives to do is to just stamp out that whole idea of canceling anything or anyone so this program as you well know is not designed to 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 lift any racial group up over any other um it is designed to engage in an interracial dialogue and to do it in a respectful way and you can't do respect when you start canceling things. So I agree. So I think what you do and what you've done here has been a tremendous example of how people can overcome and override that whole ridiculous thing of cancel culture. I mean, sometimes people just need something to talk about, you know, something to do. So. So they'll, they'll give something a name and then the next thing you know, it's out there and everybody's talking about it. And that's just kind of ridiculous stuff. But... I and, and I have to agree with what you say. I, and I've learned so much from this podcast, low these many years. I can't believe it has been three years. But yes, uh, the the episodes that I've, that I've caught, I have I've learned volumes, and it makes me it makes me reassess how I view other cultures um, and yeah. other, other 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 things that that come together to make the United States of America what we what we strive to be that more perfect union. Um. And, you know, but but to the to the notion of res restoration and 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 revival, you know, the, the Modoc language, for instance, is dead. It is gone. There yeah. there are no speakers of it. The Klamath language is being re revived. Uh, and it was great to get greetings uh, via email. Uh, the, the, the traditional greeting is Waklisi. And I know I'm not doing that any justice. Well, what is it again? Waklisi. It, it is it, it is. Um, it is uh, it just it's a it's a gen, it's a generic greeting in the Klamath language. Yeah. And to see that in an email was really uh, uh, it was really <laughs> a jolt. 
Um, yeah. And uh, so, so you can, you can reclaim only so much, uh, but there's still so much that has been lost to the, that has been lost to the mists of time. Um, yeah. And, but if we can to, to create dialogue and to create uh, understanding about the, the situation that was the situation that is and where we all might go. Yeah. That's what I hope to try and do. Well, you're on the way. And uh, I thank you for making a stop here um, at our little way station on the way there. I've got a couple of more questions I want to ask you. Sure. And um, primarily um, thoughts about your thoughts about the importance of the Native American culture in the racial conversation in the U.S. today. You've already talked a little bit about, you know, the whole cancel culture piece, but Mm-hmm. I I sense that there's more more there that you might want to say about the relevance and the importance of the Native American cultures. There are many mm-hmm. of them um, yeah. today. There are, and and there are. It is as many. They are as many and varied as you would find across any other continent. Um, one thing that we do tend to have. Uh, in common is a great love for and a desire for stewardship of the land oh, and of natural resources. And that is something that's always been very strong with me. Yeah. And, and I think a large part of it, because my, my father did so much work with the land. Uh, he was a, a state park ranger in, in, for the Oregon state parks for 30 odd years. Uh, and that came out of being part of the land and part of, part of the, uh, uh, forest protection crew with with the uh, the, the tribes before uh, we lost federal status in, in the mid fifties, mm-hmm. um, but there is that, and there is um, kind of a, a bringing together of nature and human that that goes along with that, and that's something that I'm I'm hoping to um, pass on to my daughter, yeah, and um, because she is she is the the receiver of uh, countless. Uh, heritages between me and my wife, um, everything from Southern Oregon to Eastern Europe. So, um, but there's, there is that, that, that connectedness to the land and that stewardship of the land and leaving something for the generations that ensue. Uh, during, during, uh, as an example, during reservation days, we had a, um, we had, we were able to, um, uh, actually log virgin stands of ponderosa and lodgepole pine but we did so with the understanding that we gave back and so we we were already into reforestation long before we knew what to call it um yeah. and things yeah. like that well i'll tell you what um there has been a long history of injustice perpetrated against our first peoples in this country native americans um but I want to just leave you with this thought and uh, end our program, our conversation with you with this thought from me. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King said a long time ago, I think it was 1967, he said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yes, it does. And if you continue, stay at it. If If you stay at it, you will see that justice in you know, a guy that I met not long ago, he's from the Pawnee tribe. His name mm-hmm. is John Echo Hawk, and he okay. is the executive director of the Native American Rights Fund. And he talked about many of the things you talked about, how people just absorb things that they're force fed or just shown without asking questions, without pushing back. 
And I think part of that arc that Dr. Kane talked about, you know, it stops in different places. You know, it makes stops along the way before it reaches that point where justice is achieved. Again, this is one of those stops. You're one mm-hmm. of those people that's pushing that arc along. And I'm extremely grateful for it. Thank you so much, Ian Crawford. If I may offer, if we don't get anywhere without having help from our friends and, and, and good, strong allies. And it's good to have one in you, JJ. Thank you very much. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Wendelin Hume. I'm Anishinaabe. I grew up in northwestern Ontario uh, on the reservation on Lake of the Woods, and I currently reside in the Great Plains area of North Dakota. Being kind of um, stuck on a reservation or having impoverished conditions or being attacked by people outside the reservation community, these are not choices that people would freely and willingly make. No one chooses to be attacked or to be kidnapped or to be sex trafficked or to be, you know, it's, it's not a choice that they're making. If they had all, a lot of other options to choose from, no one would choose this. So I think sometimes it's just easy for other people to say they're, they're off in their own place, just leave them be. We don't need to pay attention to that without understanding we're all part of humanity. We're all part of the same web. What, what hurts someone, even off in a remote corner of a reservation, lessens us all. So I think we do need to pay attention to this. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The situation in South Sudan is about to melt down again. My friend and brother, Abraham Awolich, who's from South Sudan, who's been living here in the diaspora, has recently returned from that area. And what he reports is not good news. We got our independence in 2011. Uh, today is 2022. We have not had an election yet as a country. And um, and people are fighting over leadership in, in ways that are not consistent with the constitution. And so both... Uh, the opposition groups that are looking to take power. They, they don't want election. They want to take it by force. And the president, who is incumbent, also doesn't want election. He wants to keep it by force. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for this episode of Colors. Thank you to everyone, especially Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher for the music. Thanks to Cosmic for the music. Thanks to Offshank for the music. And of course, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.